Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to Amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is The Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to Season 8, where our theme is wonder. For many of us, when we write, we focus on the end product. We focus on what we want to accomplish and getting it out into the world where others can read it. However, it's just as important how writing transforms our lives. What does writing change about how we experience the world around us? This season, we will have a series of conversations with people who look at how writing has impacted them, how it has changed their everyday experience, what impact writing has had on their lives. I know you will love hearing these conversations as much as we loved recording them, and I hope that by the end, you will have found a pathway to wonder through writing yourself. Welcome back to The Secret Library. My guest this week is Anna Schroeder. Anna has been writing stories as long as she can remember, starting with an epic six-page tale of a sad crocodile who wanted to be any other color than green. It was hand illustrated with 3D Crayola markers on the finest white printer paper. Now she gravitates towards science fiction and fantasy, but has a special place in her heart for a cozy murder mystery. Her first novel, Archer 887 Out Now, was an Indies Today Award finalist. She also has published on Kindle Vela, including a full-length fantasy series and short stories. In her other life, Anna works as an ICU registered nurse specializing in trauma and stroke. She lives with her husband and their two children in the Pacific Northwest, where they keep busy camping, hiking, riding dirt bikes, and destroying each other in Mario Kart. I am particularly excited to have Anna on because she embraced writing for the pure enjoyment of the story for a long time before she wanted to put her work out in the world. It was something, as she shares in this episode, that was about creating stories that she enjoyed. And growing into a place where she wanted to put her work out there has been an exciting transition, both with accolades, such as being long-listed for awards, as well as hearing from readers, building that excitement. But she also shares a challenge in this episode of getting a review that was disappointing and how that has given her more insight into her writing. I think that we 
we focus on what we learn from all the positive and exciting experiences from writing. And we tend to fear things like yucky reviews and things that clearly miss the point of what we were trying to do. And yet she took an incredible step with that experience and has come out stronger on the other side. So I know you will benefit tremendously from this story, particularly if, if you're someone who has fear about this. There's so much wonder in the world of science fiction and particularly in the one that Anna is building with her work. I'm really, really honored to introduce Anna Schroeder. Hi, Anna. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. In, in this season, so we're talking about wonder, but we're also talking about possibilities. I feel like those two things go together. Mm-hmm. And when you and I first met, you had this possibility, actually many possibilities, because you have so many ideas. And I'm wondering how, how it felt to take a possibility and turn it into a book that's now out in the world. We're starting big, big questions. I know. Yeah. Hitting, hitting right off the bat. Um, it was, it was a little bit scary and a lot exciting and a little bit like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What, what? <laughs> With lots of question marks after it. Um, the, it, it almost felt like I was like I was pulling a trick on someone or maybe a trick on myself. Like it just didn't even seem possible. Like, like it wasn't even real life. It wasn't even a real thing that could happen. Even though logically, of course it can happen. I can publish a book on anything I want, but also at the same time, like, nah, that's no, no, that's impossible. <laughs> this is fascinating to me because you had written a lot mm-hmm. at the stage when you were having these thoughts. So I think this is very validating, hopefully, to, to anyone listening, that you it wasn't like you'd written a paragraph at this point on a potential idea and thought, oh, no, this can't turn into anything. You had many, many chapters, full ideas, characters, everything. So how, how, did, that, how did that process evolve? And did you feel that way the whole time you were writing? Well, when I started writing way back in my angsty teenage years, it was always like a hobby. It was always like, oh, I'm going to do this, but it's kind of secret and I'm not going to show anybody. And it was just kind of for me. And so I always wrote the thing that I wanted or I wanted to have happen. So it wasn't performative in any way, which. I think it's a different mindset when you're writing something for other people to read and you know that they're going to read it. It's, it's a little bit different. You have a different set of standards. You have a different set of like, Oh, what are people going to think about this? And what if I do this with this character? Are we going to meet expectations? Are we going to, you know, disappoint people? And so there's just a little, it's a little different lens. And so when I finally buckled down was like, no, I'm going to do this for realsy reels. And 
it just felt so weird because I had this thing that was so personal to me that I was like, is anybody else going to like this? Because I literally wrote it only for me, which I know I've gotten the advice of, oh no, write the book that you want to read. But that's a different, that's a different feeling that when you're like literally writing a book only you were going to read, then I'm going to share this with other people. I always feel like people are going to read my stuff and be like, oh, I can tell your relationship with your mom or, oh, your relationship with your people in your life. Like there's some like hidden self-insert that I don't see because I'm looking at it from the inside. People are going to be judgy. So yeah, it's like, it's sort of like if you come out of the bathroom and like your dress is stuck in the back of your tights, it's like, yes. it's like publishing a book is like, oh, I didn't realize that my butt was hanging out and everybody else knows it now. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> it is funny because it is vulnerable to put work out there. And yet, at least from what I can see, there has been benefit to taking that risk. So I'm wondering what benefits you've experienced from having taken the leap, ignoring the thoughts that said, nobody wants to read this. This is not interesting to anyone else and going for it anyway. It's, it's been very self-validating, even though, I mean, I'm nowhere like a New York times bestseller. I haven't become a viral sensation overnight, blah, blah, blah. But there I've definitely had some like pride just in the fact that I've done this and accomplished this thing and now I'm I'm building this bigger project I'm building a platform I'm kind of making a thing of it and then it's also it's also exciting to put it out there and share with people and get feedback and I've met new people and new friends and gone to the conferences and met you and kind of explored some things that I didn't even know existed before because I wasn't in the book publishing scene. So it's a hundred percent new. It's all new things. It's all new experiences and new people. And it's been very interesting and exciting, still a little bit scary, but overall I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and excited to try new things and do new things. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so important because the other thing is that most of us, when we put work out in the world, are terrified that people are going to be mean or there's going to be a terrible experience. And Ooh. I bring this up because I know you got somebody was was it felt mean in a review, but you were able to do something really constructive. And I thought very smart with it. Yes. So something I didn't realize before I started publishing things is that you can solicit reviews. You can say, oh, hey, this, you know, newsletter or this person, would you read my book and then write a review and tell me what you think? And then you can use it on Amazon and quote it and, you know, use it as a marketing tool. So I've been doing that with people. I look at their profile and their platform that they've built and I'm like, oh, this would be a good fit or whatever. So I did it with this it's kind of a more niche sci-fi thing because it's a sci-fi book and I sent it off and a couple months later they sent the review back and I was like, Oh, okay. And then I read the review and it was like, somebody had just stabbed me in the chest. Like and it wasn't bad. 
if they had come out and been like, eh, this book wasn't for me. I didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. I would have been like, okay, whatever. But the tone, it was like a little condescending and a little like, I'm gonna pat you on the head, a little girl author. And, and it just like, it just rubbed me all the wrong way. And so I, and I had just come out of the AWP conference in Seattle, which was amazing, but also makes you feel how very tiny you are in this huge sea of extremely talented writers and poets and publishers and all these people who are just so amazing. So I was already feeling a little squashed and I read this review and I was just like, ah, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> like I'm going to go and hide under a rock because I just can't even, can't even deal with it, which is a little, you know, dramatic, but I think I'm... also totally normal. <laughs> yes. yes. I was like, maybe I'm still a little bit of that angsty teenager at heart a little bit, but but then I went and I read it again and it was still like, oh, oh my gosh, this is like the worst thing everybody's ever said about me. Um, but I was able to, it actually helped me look back on what I had written and why I had made the choices that I made in my book, because I made some very specific choices based on the science fiction genre and how I wanted it to go. And honestly, I wrote this story for myself. I didn't ever plan to publish it. I didn't, I wasn't going to write a second and a third book. Thank you, Carolyn. And Sorry. yeah, yeah, it's Carolyn's fault. Blame her. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was, it was interesting to go back and look at it again and take their criticism and, and think and respond not to them directly, but kind of to the the internets at large and say, well, some of these things that you're criticizing were deliberate choices because of the things that you're criticizing. I picked the way this story was structured because of how science fiction has been structured and the, the, the tropes and the cliches that are inside of it. I put those in there in some very specific places for a reason. And the reason will play out later in this ongoing story. So it was both very constructive, but also I was cranky. So totally fair. And yeah. there's, there's something really great. I mean, easy for me to say, because, you know, I'm not the one who was on the receiving end of the review, but from the outside to be able to say that you were part of the conversation that is science fiction in such a way that somebody had a strong reaction. Yes. I do. I say, I will say, I would rather have somebody say, I really didn't like this book and I didn't like it for these reasons. And this made me mad rather than, oh yeah. Okay. It was, it was fine. Oh, fine. You know? the worst. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, vanilla, vanilla is yummy. Most everybody likes vanilla, but I really don't like pistachio ice cream and I will not eat it. But then we can have a real conversation where I can see like, no, pistachio ice cream was like the worst invention ever made. And someone can say, no, it was the best. And then we can have a debate. And that's, I think, more, more interesting and more constructive to me as an author, but also to like the literary world as a whole is to have that rather than just like, meh, it was vanilla. It was exactly. okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Because the other thing that you have as a science fiction author, which I, I find fascinating and I think really informs what you're doing is actual training in science. Yes. So one of the, 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 the genesis of this book, I think this is an important part of the backstory is I was, I think I was very, very pregnant with my first or had just had him and he was a very difficult baby and he never slept and we were super broke and living in a tiny apartment. And my husband who has since been officially diagnosed with ADHD <laughs> likes to hyper-focus on certain things. And his hyper-focus obsession at the time was science fiction shows on Netflix. So he watched every single Star Trek series in a row, all of them, like binge wow. watched. And then he did the, the Battlestar Galactica, yep. old and new. And then he did this other one. And it, and it got to the point where I was like, no, no more. Like I could not handle it anymore. So I sat down and I had already been writing like little things and stuff that I liked just for me. And I was like, I'm going to write a science fiction story that makes sense where there's not lasers and there's not anti-gravity and it's not this other thing. It's going to be a real quote unquote science fiction story. How can I make that work if they don't have light speed or they don't have hyperdrive or they don't have whatever they have, or they don't have the force. They don't have any of the big, like canonic science fiction things. So that was my starting place. Obviously from there, there is some science fiction-y slash magical components to it because it comes in later. But after this whole situation, I went back to school to be a nurse. Because like I said, broke, no money, no job. <laughs> it, was, it was that time of recession life happening for us millennials. And so I went back to school to be a nurse, which is pretty intense scientific training based in biology and chemistry plus human anatomy and that sort of thing. And so one of the components in my story is that this civilization has very advanced healing technology. So they can repair just about anything. But it it definitely helped build the story if I was coming from the place of it has to make sense in in our real world that this has to happen even though it's happening in another galaxy way in the future, far, far away, et cetera. So um, it definitely helped. And it makes me very skeptical of when I watch science fiction shows now where I'm like, mm, <laughs> no, mm, no, nope, that's magic. <laughs> exactly. But this is the thing is that you are able to take something which most people I think wouldn't consider wrongly, possibly a literary profession and yet use it to fuel fiction. That, that is, sometimes I'm struck by like the incongruency of this, of like, I'm in this kind of artistic space, but then also in this very practical cut and dry, you know, there is a wrong and a right thing to happen sort of medical field. And obviously in the human element of it, there's a lot of gray area about what we're going to do, what people's plans are and what's right and what's wrong. But when somebody is in 
ventricular fibrillation, you defibrillate them. And when somebody has, you know, this particular illness, this is the medication that you give them. And so it's very prescribed, like it's a science. That's how we do it. And I, I, it feels very like disjointed in my head sometimes to go from like this creative aspect and then go into this very like practical life-saving sort of world. But there are a lot of stories there and there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of things that, a lot of things that happen either in conversations that I have or situations that happen and even emotions that I have or that I witness where I can go, oh, I have this this feeling that I've had. How can I use that to and translate it into something in the story to give the give a story more impact of fear or excitement or grief or you know anger or something that's happening in this very intense world of the real world job? How can I translate that and use that to heighten the emotions and the impact of what's happening in my pretend worlds that I'm building? So. Do you think that helps you? Because I know you have to, and we have talked about this, but that you have to be able to cope with life and death situations in a different way to work as a nurse. That's just a given. But I wonder, is there any way that being able to take those emotions and those situations that come up and use them in fiction, do you think that that helps you deal with or process the intensity that you have to go through at work? Yes. So I'm a very practical, level-headed sort of person. Like if something is on fire, I'm the person you want to have like deal with it because I can just be like, oh, let's put out the fire. Let's get it done. You know, somebody's heart stopped beating. I know what to do. Let's do this thing. I'm very, very level-headed about that. And it, but it's even when it's not a very emotionally charged experience for me to witness something traumatic in what I do, especially because I work as an ICU nurse. I work in trauma and brain injury. And so people come in with devastating injuries and, and you, you, you get this, you know, they're not nameless, obviously. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're a John Doe or a Jane Doe and they come in and all you know is what's in front of you and you deal with this situation. But then you learn oh, they're the father of two or they're someone's grandma or they were on a family vacation and they were in this car accident or you start to learn these details about their life or they're, uh, they were drunk driving and crashed into another car or they you know shot somebody and then they've been shot by the police. Like you start to get these very intense things that you have feelings about and you can't let that disrupt how you take care of your patient. You have to give them the best care. And it's very well documented in the nursing field, especially after this pandemic that's been going on and all of the added stress and trauma that disconnecting those two things, your personal feelings and your work feelings is not healthy because then you don't process it properly. Um, But it definitely does help where I can take this thing and be like, this thing happened today and it was just awful. Or this thing happened today and it was amazing. And using that, taking that emotion and saying, how can I use this in my writing and in my creative life as a way of processing it and helping helping myself work through it? 
because my natural inclination is to just ignore it and be like, man, I'll deal with that later, which obviously isn't very healthy. <laughs> so, Exactly. But then you get to, you get to take this situation and turn it into something that it's like that someone has this experience in their life. You're taking it and then putting it into a story that someone will read and that will further potentially impact them or provide healing or an emotional experience for them. It's like this becomes this conduit, which is kind of extraordinary. I do. I do like that. And it did help because again, I, nobody wants to read a story where I'm the main character (laughs) because (laughs) I'd be like, you mean I have to go climb into that volcano and get the jewel? I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. (laughs) Like that would be my character. I'd be like, why are we doing this the most difficult way possible? Like, you mean there's, there's an exhaust vent that's two meters across that I have to shoot torpedoes in while flying down a canyon covered with like, why would we do it that way? Let's find a different way to do this. Right. So it, I would not be a very good main character, but I think I can explore those emotions and use some of these high intensity situations for my main characters and say, okay, if they were in this situation, how would they react? What would their thoughts be? How would they, you know, process this or what would, how would they change their decisions? And it lets me let them be themselves rather than them kind of just conforming and turning into little shadow copies of me because that would be pretty boring. And then my characters wouldn't do anything exciting. They'd be like, and no thanks, I'm gonna stay home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there something really satisfying? I know there is for me. So this is a little bit of a leading question, but Hmm. of, of getting to simultaneously be the kind of person who says things at 9 p.m. like, ooh, pajamas, which is definitely me. Mm-hmm. And also write books in which somebody stays out late doing crazy stuff or makes decisions that feel reckless and getting to experience that part of life while still being your practical self. Oh, definitely. I have absolutely zero desire to live in a time before penicillin and anesthesia and running water, but I love to read Regency romance novels. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live there. That would be terrible. They had like a 75% childbirth mortality rate. No, thank you. People died of like, oh, I cut my finger. Now I have an infection and now I'm dead. No, no, thank you. But I love to read them vicariously. And so the same thing, like, oh, I don't ever want to actually like have to solve somebody's murder, but I love cozy murder mysteries. I'll read that and, you know, enjoy it. So I think that's the power that books have is they can transport you to these other places and you get to experience these things, but you get to be safe in your bed at nine o'clock, sipping on your hot cocoa and not have to do anything. Yeah. With your penicillin available. I know with my penicillin and my antibiotics and you know, no, thank you. Um, But I also think that's why, so I have a book club with my friends and I, and we don't all read one book. We read whatever we want. And then we all come to book club and just talk about what we've been reading. And so sometimes we've read the same books and we can like, oh, did you read this part? Did you get to that part? And then people will be like, what happens? And we're like, oh, we can't tell you. It's so exciting, you know, and then we get snacks (laughs) and it's great. But there's a definite, like, I read a lot of science fiction fantasy and definitely feminist novels. I'm all about the lady scientist. That's my favorite trope and robots. Um, But another gal reads all World War II. Oh, excuse me. 
<clears throat> and one girl reads all thrillers and like true crime. And I don't read true crime and I don't read thrillers because I don't want to read about other people like in these horrible situations. Like, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. But she reads it and she'd be like, oh, this book was so good. And I'll be like, mm, okay, I'll try it. And sometimes I'm like, no, nah, not for me. And sometimes I'm like, oh man, this book was so good. So it, it, you definitely like, I think the flavor of the book that you kind of go for it, one, it tells you a lot about yourself and the things that you enjoy and want to experience, but also what you don't read, I think tells you a lot too. And same thing with the books, like the books I write, because now that I've started writing more and more books, I definitely can see themes in my writing and character arcs that are, that are, they won't say they're similar, but they have parallels in them of like, you know, what is someone's duty and what, what loyalties do they have and how can they stay true to themselves? And they kind of, it kind of overhangs all of the stories. And so obviously, if I'm going to like psychoanalyze my own writing, those are the things that are important to me. So it it definitely gives you an op- the, the option to explore those situations, but then also see like what themes resonate with me and why do I, why am I drawn to this? Aside from just the fluff of the Regency romance, because it's just silly, but what am I looking for in this book and why is it satisfying to me? So, yep. I think, yeah, this is so, it's so interesting to me because having written a number of books and then discarded them at varying points and then getting later to one that worked, it was striking to me. And I wonder if this is the case for you that the same central theme or the same relationship tension existed in all of the ones that led up to it. It was like, I thought, oh, I can, I can avoid this theme or this topic, but Mm -hmm. just like your sense of duty or characters doing what they need to and loyalty keeps coming back. I found that the dynamics that were present in all of the books kept coming back. Again, it's like, I'm not sure if I'm outside the outside the situation enough to say, oh, I can pinpoint why I write about this particular topic. Um, because I mean, especially nowadays, a big trope that is here is found family or, you know, or, um, exploring someone's like sense of self or sense of purpose. That's a big thing, both in books and literature and, but also in other media. And obviously is like some sort of conscious, thing that's happening in our society is that search for belonging and sense of self but I don't know if I can I don't know maybe there'll be like a college class on my book one day and then I can see what all these college kids (laughs) say about my books because then maybe it will inform me about my books but I've I how am I trying to say this I feel like I can't pinpoint a single thing in my life where I say this thing happened to me and so therefore I am writing these characters and these plots that are a reflection of this because these are my values it it kind of sneaks in there without me realizing as I'm having my characters make decisions and as I'm like oh what's going to happen next because I'm a pantser 
I don't sit down and like plot the whole thing. I don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a novel about, you know, the important relationships between families or about the threat of technology on human independence or something. I don't sit down and do that. I go, well, I bet I could write a space opera that was better than these shows. Okay. <laughs> and then I go from there. Or I'm going to write this fantasy book, except I'm going to twist all the characters backwards and they're not going to, they're not going to do the things you, they expect to do. So that, but then as I write it and as I do more drafts and I get deeper into the characters and I really start to get a feel for who the characters are and what they would do in their personalities. So they stop being so two-dimensional and they start to get more complicated. And that I, I notice I can look and go, oh, here's this theme or, oh, here's this, this value that I have reflected back from the words, but I didn't intentionally put it in there. So I guess against my will, little bits of myself get put in and my skirt gets stuck in my underwear and everybody sees my booty. <laughs> but, but, and I think that's why that, um, that review stung so much is because they went and prodded at all of those things that I had intentionally done, the choices I had intentionally made and kind of poked at it and sneered at it a little bit. And I was like, that's like, I made those choices on purpose. Like that was me actually saying I'm making this choice because I am putting something important to me into the story. And then to have some stranger kind of scoff at it, it was just like, oh, okay, you're scoffing at me. Like, like me personally, if it was just, oh, I didn't like this book, then I'd be like, okay, whatever. But it was, no, it was, I'm going to scoff at Anna. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm, that kind of hurt my feelings and I don't get my feelings hurt real easy. <laughs> yeah. I was a little surprised by it. But I think that this is, this is the thing is that I don't think we intend to write books. I don't know anybody maybe there's somebody out there. And if you are listening to this, I apologize. But in my experience, people don't go out to write books saying, I want to figure out who I really am. So I'm going to write a book and that will help me do that. It's more, I want to tell this story or I have this idea or this concept has come to me. But then without realizing it, you figure out more about how you think and what's important and what it, you know, what kind of mistakes characters can make or what you think is a good decision and what doesn't seem like such a good decision. All of those things get figured out through the course of the, the book. And then, so when that becomes more clear, of course, it's more vulnerable when somebody else says, I think that's dumb, or I don't think that's correct. It's, it's like we've opened ourselves up more and become more vulnerable. And then we're, it's just that we're that much less protected when anything comes back. Yeah. And like I said, I'm a very practical person. I'm very pragmatic. And I guess I have a pretty good RBF. And and in my job, people say mean things to me. People say really mean things to me, both patients and doctors and staff and whatever. And you just, if you're a good nurse and you're a good medical professional, you stay professional and you go, oh, okay, that's nice. And you argue your point and move on with your day. And you can't take it personal because there's so much, I mean, and, and I tell this to patients, I tell them straight up, I go, you are having the worst day of your entire life. I do this every day. 
I just went in there and had to tell somebody that they're dying. And now I'm in here giving you a sandwich. And like, it's the, the dichotomy between the two is hard, which is why being a medical professional or a first responder takes its toll on people. But I'm used to feeling that way all the time. I'm not a very like, people say mean things about me and I'm like, well, okay, you don't like me, whatever. I don't like you either, huh? And then I move on with my day. So I was definitely shocked when I was like, oh, I like put myself out here a little bit and then somebody was mean, but it was one person and all the other people who have read it and some of them are my best friends, so they have to like it, but have been like, oh, this book was amazing. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm soothed. I'll go read some good reviews. And then I'll be like, my ego will be soothed a little bit and I don't have to be so be so hurt <laughs> about this yeah. one person I don't care about. Well, this is the thing. Like, it's easy for that to get blown out of proportion or us to, we were, I mean, you would know this better than me, but they, they were biologically programmed to pay attention to things that are a threat, like mm-hmm. threats threats resonate harder than the fact that say your book was made the long list for an award or that you get consistently really solid reviews and responses. And I think there was one person who was like effectively telling everyone to shut up around you whenever you're writing, because she's so excited for the next book. If I remember correctly. (laughs) Yes. No, there's definitely a negative negativity bias in there. And I even, I even told myself like when it happened, I, my little logical Anna brain said, okay, this is one review of this one thing. And just by reading this, I can tell this person is super pretentious and a little bit misogynistic and I don't want to talk to them in real life anyway. And so I'll just ignore that. And then emotional brain Anna was like, oh, he hurt my feelings. (laughs) And And even when I knew when I was in my little funk of like, I just want to curl up in my bed and read the same book over and over and over again. I knew it was illogical. I knew it was stupid, but I was like, it's okay. I'm just going to wallow here for a little while. I'm tired. I don't have to go to work for a couple of days. I'm just going to like luxuriate in my self-pity for a day or two and then I'll be okay. (laughs) And, and that's what I did. I, I kind of flopped around and didn't read and didn't write and didn't do anything. And then I was like, okay, it's fine now. I can like move on with my life. So it was a and good now you've graduated. You've graduated from yes. this, this experience in the writing life. Yes. And I wrote a snarky Substack post about it and, and I feel better now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm never, I'm never going to read it again. I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. And it, cause the thing is, it's like all thoughts about writing or opinions. Mm-hmm. And we feel like, I think one of the things that I love about what you've done with science fiction is that you have sort of rewritten some of the rules that you didn't like about science fiction and mm-hmm. made it work in a different way. And I think that as writers, that's what we get to do. And so sometimes like when people bump up against it it's like you're not following my rules and but but you know I always quote Eden Lepucky who once said on Twitter repeat after me I'm writing a novel and I can do whatever I want and so mm-hmm. this is the beauty that we come back to it's like well yeah maybe you don't like the way I built this world but it's my world because it's my book yeah I gotta do what I want the uh I think 
the most fun I have when I'm writing. And I think some of the best stuff that I write is when I have a problem that I have to solve and not like a, Oh, a big, you know, existential moral thing that's happening. I'm literally like, Oh, darn, my character is over here and I need them to be in this place a hundred miles away. Uh, Oh, now what I'm going to do, or I've set up this, this tradition in this culture, but now it's getting in the way of what I thought was going to happen next. Or uh, my characters live in, in a solar system and they go between the planets, but they don't have hyperdrive. Oh, darn. How long is it going to take them to get between the planets? How can I speed that up? How am I going to, what are the physics behind it? How am I going to think through the problem so that it becomes part of the story and then use that to show character and show place and show these emotions of, what that does and then in science fiction specifically is okay then what technologies do they have to compensate for this problem that they have and how do they how does it interfere with this the bigger problem they're trying to solve how do these little problems interfere with things and that is I think that's the really neat part of any sort of speculative fiction fantasy is you have to solve the problems that you make for yourself because it doesn't exist in the real world. And the answer is not something that everybody knows. It's as if you were reading a, a book, but it's from a totally different culture and they don't tell you any of the cultural norms. They don't, you don't understand what's happening. And so you're just, you're left with nothing and you lose a lot of the context in the story. So the you have to you have to think through all that context and solve all the problems and then figure out what the the ripple effects are that are going to be and i think that is i like that part of it it's the i think it's the most interesting and it's the place where you can be the most creative cuz you can solve that problem however you like it just has to fit the rules that you've already established and sometimes you have to go back and bend those rules a little bit because that you realize you're like oh this isn't going to work now I'm going to have to change things and then you get to rearrange things again. So I like that part the best, I think. I think I love that. I love that you like that part the best because I think that there are problems that are unique to sci-fi and speculative fiction. And at the same time, there are problems in every book that we have to solve or we set things up or we realize, oh my God, I set this in this year and realized the historical Thing that I'm referencing actually happened in a different year or in a different decade mm-hmm. or other things. There's always something that comes up. And I think many of us have the impulse to think, oh, I've got to make this easier or I've got to reduce the friction or I've got to eliminate the problems. But to embrace the problems and make them the fun part is so good. Yes. That's what, like, I'm writing this fantasy series story thing. And in the first draft I kind of just did whatever I wanted and there's magic and there's divine intervention characters and there's you know the stuff is happening but now that I'm writing the rest of the story more books and it spans decades I have to go back and go oh well who was this person that just had a little cameo that was just like you know the mysterious cloaked figure like I never explained who that was. Uh Uh-oh. Now I have to figure out, (laughs) take this character and be like, okay, so who was that character and why were they here? Because 
the reader is going to go, well, what about this character? Who were they? Why were they here? What were they doing? And then I have to go, oh, I have to explain that later on somehow. And then same thing with the science fiction part of it, I think is interesting is I you see, you enter the world at this one particular place in time and you you get, you absorb what's happening. You see the technology and the characters and the interactions, but you don't know how they got there. You don't know the history behind it. So not only the cultural history and why do these people have these motivations and why are these people doing these particular things, but also why do they have a spaceship that looks like this? Why do they have weapons that look like this? What is this, you know, these laws that they're referencing? Why do those laws exist? And that kind of backstory building, all the those little problems you have to iron out can then be used in the story itself as to make it richer and deeper and give context to things that otherwise would just be like, and they escaped, yay! You know, you don't want to use these cheap tricks. And so you can use this, like, well, why are these two peoples at war? Or why do they have this sort of technology? And then that feeds, gives more fuel to what you're doing and it helps push it along better. So, Yeah, there's just something really satisfying about having quality puzzles to play with in order to create the story. Is mm-hmm. that how it feels? Yeah. And I am not a person. So like I said, I'm a pantser and I have a general like, all right, my main character is like a male in his twenties and he has dark hair. Like that's the extent of my character development, <laughs> right? A lot of times they don't even have names. I'll just put an initial, be like, I think his name starts with a K put a K down, like, and then I just kind of start going or I'll use, um, like when I was writing my fantasy book, I used Lincoln Zelda. Cause that's my favorite video <laughs> game. And so I used those names just as placeholders. Like that's obviously not who this person is, but I just, I'll be like, I don't know what their name is. It like really very little character development. I don't make mood boards. I don't make playlists. I don't have like all this elaborate, like, Oh, this is my culture. I don't make a language. I do make a language as I go, but usually it's just like, let me go look up some foreign words and then I'm just going to like switch the syllables around and then stick it in there. And that's their language now. Like I'm not J.R.R. Tolkien. It's that's not happening. So um, as I go, then as they make decisions, I can say, okay, this is the decision they made. And then I have to say, well, why did they do that? Why are they, why are they doing this? Why I thought they were going to do this, but now they're doing this other thing. What's happening? Like, and then I have to go back and go, oh, it's because they were raised by this other person because their parents died. And then I start to flesh out the backstory behind it and kind of have this give and take between what's happening now and what's happening in the past. And this end goal that I can kind of see, I have to say, okay, I know that they're going to end up here and have the big bad guy, good guy showdown at some point in the future, but how we're going to get there, I'm not quite sure. And it's, it's very nebulous. And I wish I could tell people a much more uh, uh, concrete method, but I honestly don't have one right now, which makes it hard when I write sequels, because now I do have all of that backstory (laughs) and I have to be true to it. And it's actually harder because now I have characters that are doing things that 
they have to stay true. And so the problems they face then are different because I say, oh, okay, this thing is happening. How would this character react to it? And then if I go, oh, well, they weren't going to react. This is what I want to happen, but they're going to react this different way. And then I'm in the problem again, where I'm like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) They're just doing their thing. So, but you like problems. (laughs) I do like problems. I do like problems. You won't tell that I like problems because you'll come in and I'll be scowling at my computer, but (laughs) I do like it. I like the problems. Yeah. It's just different kinds of problems and how they fit together. But I love the, the way that you create, and I'm always resistant to saying this actually, create characters because I feel like they're there and we just sort of figure out who they are and then we start to put them in action and then that's how we learn who they are I feel like it's very difficult to make a series of decisions like this person is like this they have this thought they're from this situation they have these kinds of uh, this kind of identity and this is how they behave in these kinds of situations I need to Mm -hmm. see them in the situation and see what they do to build up who they are yeah and I think that's what adds so much richness to a story is when you again going back to my regency romance i love them they're so dumb sometimes but i just i love them and they're like they're like dessert they're like my dessert books i'll be like oh man i just read that really intense interesting book i'm gonna go read georgia higher now because i just need to like have fluffy in my brain for a little bit so if you don't read Regency Romance, it might be confusing. But if you do, you know the rules that these characters exist in and how they're going to react and what needs to happen. And that's part of the, that's part of the, uh, it's like a little security blanket of like, I know how this story is going to go. I know how people are going to react. And sometimes they do unusual things and sometimes they don't. And it's just, you know, you, you kind of get it, but you have that context because you've read so many of the books and you know about the culture and the time period. And so when you don't, when you're the person creating the culture in the time period, you don't know how the characters are going to react because you don't know anything about them. There's not this built-in structure around it. And it's also why I'm not a huge fan of like, realistic fiction and modern fiction sometimes I am and sometimes I read it I'm like oh this is great but I don't want to I don't want to read about right now and the world that I'm in right now I want to step outside of it in some way either with the fantastical or surreal or a situation that I would never find myself in I don't want to read about a thing that I exist in all the time. I don't find that comforting. And I know some people do. Some people like to read books about things that they've experienced and it helps them. But I like to step outside that context in my reading and also my writing so that I can explore it. And then my characters can tell me what's happening and what the, what the situation is and what the culture is and what's important to them. And it kind of blossoms from there rather than I have this prescribed set of things they must do and they're just going to march through it because that's the story that I'm going to tell whether they want to do it or not. Exactly. It's like you get to escape into a separate world and then it makes Mm -hmm. the world that we're in 
easier to be in because there is this other place we can wander off to and mm-hmm. have a different experience. Yeah. And I can close the book if I don't want to read it. Or I can say, this is not, like you said, this is not working. Why is this not working? Like, is this a flaw in the in the plot? Is my plot just not going anywhere? Is there not a plot? Is it just characters talking to each other? Is there is there something wrong with how the world is structured? Are the rules wrong? Like, is there too much magic that's solving their problems, whether it's actual magic or technology or whatever? And then you have to kind of unpick everything and go back to the very beginning and be like, oh, is it the characters? Is it the idea? Is it the world that they're in? How can I adjust the knobs on it a little bit and you know, put up the high and take down the low and change the gain. And maybe we can build something that makes more sense. That feels more authentic rather than just these little cardboard characters, just kind of doing their thing, like little shadow puppets. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a process. I'm struck again, having this conversation in particular, because what you handle in your books is so many layers and so many aspects that it's never going to get boring. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I worry sometimes when I'm writing that I think my characters are complex, but then I also know, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) my goodness. I also know all the decisions they didn't make. And so I, and all the situations that happened, but then I cut out and some of the backstory that I didn't put in. And so I have this more complex view of this character. And I saw them when they were just a female in her thirties, blonde hair. And now I have this whole bio and experience and story of this character. And so I've seen them grow into something bigger. And I worry sometimes that I'm going to or that I, I put my book out and people don't see the complexity that maybe it's not clear enough, but then I don't want to be heavy handed too. Like it's that balance between, am I telling you too much what to think about this character? Or am I showing you how this character is? Is the, is their decision-making and the, 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 moral complexity of what they're doing is it clear or is it too like whitewashed like what what is happening here so sometimes I feel so when I get that review that was like meh vanilla I'm like oh okay my characters are boring and childish and make stupid decisions and therefore my writing is terrible (laughs) rather than being complex conflicted people who make bad choices for the best reasons and who make good choices, but for bad reasons and trying to make, like, you never know. You never know until somebody reads it and says, oh, I see you. I see what you did. I see these characters. I understand. And then you can say, oh, okay, good. It wasn't like weird and stilted and boring. So Well, I can say from personal experience, because I have read it, that I did not find it at all weird and stilted and boring. Okay, good. (laughs) I can say that for sure. And I can also say that 
the fascinating thing for me is that we can write something that is so born in our own experience and yet other people can find themselves in it too. And there are all of these, these experiences that come in fiction and that you've shared in the book and that all of us share in fiction. And then we find moments in it. And there are moments in this that are universal, even though it's in such an idiosyncratic particular world with particular rules. There are all of these moments. There's loss, there's separation, there's anxiety, there's control, there's taking on a responsibility before you're ready and all of these kinds of things that all of us can relate to. And I think that's that's the lovely thing about fiction is that even mm-hmm. if it's completely different than our world, we can still see ourselves in there too. Yeah, they, uh, people are people and we've always been people from the very beginning and we will continue to be people until the sun explodes and eats the planet and it and i i meet a lot of people i see a lot of people generally they're having a really crappy day so they're not at their best and they're not they're not in their public persona they are sick and tired and injured and their families are worried and scared or they're excited because they're having a baby or there are all these heightened emotions and people are all people. They're all the same. Some of them are nicer than others. Some of them are more generous than others. Some of them, I just have to like roll my eyes and walk out of the room because they're being assholes. Can we swear on this? Because that's what totally. they are to be. They're totally. being assholes. Yeah. And so it, it you know, but it, it's, I would think that I would expect being my pragmatic self that I would be, I would be uh, turned off by how predictable people can be in high stress situations where I can be like, ugh. People are always like this. They're always histrionic or they're always grumpy or they're always this. But in truth, they're just people having big emotions and they can also be very kind and they can be generous and they can be forgiving and they can be good people in bad situations. And sometimes they do good things and sometimes they do bad things. And that is the same everywhere, whether it's in a hospital or in a bank or at home. It's people are people. I can't say that I'm very interested in other people in general. <laughs> I don't, I'm not like, ooh, tell me your whole life story. Cause I kind of don't really care, but I do value the, I do value the moments and the opportunities I have to talk to people and to help them in that one situation, whether it's something simple, like I, oh yeah, I can get you a glass of ice water and let me plump your pillow up a little bit and make you more comfortable. That's all I can do for you right now, but I'll do it and I will help you. Or something as big as, you know, hey, your heart stopped beating. I got to save your life. (laughs) Like like a big thing. And then, you know, we get return of circulation and we talk and a couple of days later, they're off the breathing machine and I could be like, oh, hey, good. You're alive. This is great. And no, no, those are two extremes, but the people are still people. They're still going to do what things that people do. And it, 
I have to remind myself of that when I catch myself starting to be cynical in my job after a long shift of people peeing on the floor and swearing at me. But I also, I also revel in it when I have, you know, a family that's just so amazing and so nice and so grateful. And I can, I can share in that experience with them, even if it's not a great experience for them. And that happens all over the world all the time and in real life and in fiction and everything. And the, the showing that in a book is the, is just another way to, another way to express those emotions that I feel in it, but also see myself in those situations and reading I can or watching television or listening to podcasts and stories I mean this is why humans tell stories that's why I've told stories for millions of years is this sharing of experiences and putting ourselves in situations whether they seem realistic or not and then we can we can explore the choices we would make and the things we would do in those situations and I don't think that's going to change ever because humans are humans <laughs> and we do the same things all day every day so yeah and it's but there is you're right and I think this is a beautiful point to end on is that we yeah we have we're we're human we're imperfect we're flawed and we have there are many experiences we have that are different but there are many experiences that we have that are the same and that that's what we can share both of those things through books and be a part of this larger conversation, which is really a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, I might, I might lovingly deride Regency romance because it is fluffy a lot of times, but whether it's romance or hardcore science fiction or really high-minded, you know, literature, it's, whatever you like and whatever you enjoy, whatever you write, that's, that's what we're doing is we're, we're telling a story in order to see ourselves and then also to invite others to see themselves in that. And the vehicle in which you do that doesn't matter. So if you think one genre is vanilla and boring, go find another. And that is a hundred percent valid. It's like our little book club is, I'm never going to read a whole bunch of World War II fiction, but it's valid that someone else does. And I support her in that. And I think that is the power of books is that we can all find our little, our little niche to be in and enjoy and, and, but we still have the same experience as everybody else, even if it's in a different language or a different genre or whatever it is. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better. Thank you so, so much, Anna. It's been a treat. Yeah, it's a pleasure always to talk to you. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. 
Just head to amazon.com slash adfreefitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data and massive compute power. But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need. All right. Search HPE GreenLake. Mm-hmm. 